Chapter 12, Part 1 of Fox's Book of Martyrs, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Father Ziley of Detroit. Fox's Book of Martyrs, Volume 1, by John Fox. Edited by William Byron Forbush. Chapter 12. The Life and Story of the True Servant and Martyr of God, William Tyndale. Part 1. We have now to enter into the story of the good martyr of God, William Tyndale, which William Tyndale, as he was a special organ of the Lord appointed, and as God's mattock to shake the inward roots and foundation of the Pope's proud prelacy, so the great prince of darkness, with his impious imps, having a special malice against him, left no way unsought how craftily to entrap him, and falsely to betray him, and maliciously to spill his life, as by the process of his story here following may appear. William Tyndale, the faithful minister of Christ, was born about the borders of Wales, and brought up from a child in the University of Oxford where he, by long continuance, increased as well in the knowledge of tongues and other liberal arts, as especially in the knowledge of the Scriptures, whereunto his mind was singularly addicted, insomuch that he, lying then in Magdalen Hall, read privily to certain students and fellows of Magdalen College some parcel of divinity, instructing them in the knowledge and truth of the Scriptures. His manners and conversation, being correspondent to the same, were such that all they that knew him reputed him to be a man of most virtuous disposition and of life unspotted. Thus he, in the University of Oxford, increasing more and more in learning, and proceeding in degrees of the schools, spying his time, removed from thence to the University of Cambridge, where he likewise made his abode a certain space being now further ripened in the knowledge of God's word, leaving that university, he resorted to one Master Welch, a knight of Gloucestershire, and was there schoolmaster to his children, and in good favor with his master. As this gentleman kept a good ordinary commonly at his table, there resorted to him many times sundry abbots, deans, archdeacons, with divers other doctors and great beneficed men who there, together with Master Tyndale, sitting at the same table, did use many times to enter communication, and talk of learned men, as of Luther and of Erasmus, also of diverse other controversies and questions upon the Scripture. Then Master Tyndale, as he was learned and well practised in God's matters, spared not to show unto them simply and plainly his judgment, and when they at any time did vary from Tyndale in opinions, he would show them in the book, and lay plainly before them the open and manifest places of the Scriptures, to confute their errors, and confirm his sayings. And thus continued they for a certain season, reasoning and contending together diverse times, until at length they waxed weary, and bare a secret grudge in their hearts against him. As this grew on, the priests of the country, clustering together, began to grudge and storm against Tyndale, railing against him in alehouses and other places, affirming that his sayings were heresy, and accused him secretly to the Chancellor and others of the bishop's officers. 
It followed not long after this that there was a sitting of the bishop's chancellor appointed, and warning was given to the priests to appear, among whom Master Tyndale was also warned to be there, and whether he had any misdoubt by their threatenings or knowledge given him that they would lay some things to his charge, it is uncertain. But certain this is, as he himself declared, that he doubted their privy accusations, so that he, by the way, in going thitherwards, cried in his mind heartily to God to give him strength fast to stand in the truth of his word. When the time came for his appearance before the Chancellor, he threatened him grievously, reviling and rating him as though he had been a dog, and laid to his charge many things whereof no accuser could be brought forth, notwithstanding that the priests of the country were there present. Thus Master Tyndale, escaping out of their hands, departed home, and returned to his master again. There dwelt not far off a certain doctor that he had been chancellor to a bishop, who had been of old familiar acquaintance with Master Tyndale, and favoured him well, unto whom Master Tyndale went and opened his mind upon diverse questions of the Scripture, for to him he durst be bold to disclose his heart. Unto whom the doctor said, Do you not know that the Pope is very antichrist, whom the Scriptures speak of? But beware that you say, for if you shall be perceived to be of that opinion, it will cost you your life. Not long after, Master Tyndale happened to be in the company of a certain divine, recounted for a learned man, and in communing and disputing with him, he drove him to that issue that the said great doctor burst out into these blasphemous words. We were better to be without God's laws than the Pope's. Master Tyndale, hearing this, full of godly zeal, and not bearing that blasphemous saying, replied, I defy the Pope and all his laws, and added, If God spared him life, ere many years he would cause a boy that driveth the plough to know more of the Scripture than he did. The grudge of the priests increasing still more and more against Tyndale, they never ceased barking and raiding at him, and laid many things sorely to his charge, saying that he was a heretic. Being so molested and vexed, he was constrained to leave that country, and to seek another place. And so, coming to Master Welch, he desired him of his good will that he might depart from him, saying, Sir, I perceive that I shall not be suffered to tarry long here in this country, neither shall you be able, though you would, to keep me out of the hands of the spirituality, what displeasure might grow to you by keeping me, God knoweth, for the which I should be right sorry. So that, in fine, Master Tyndale, with the good will of his master, departed, and eftsoons came up to London, and there he preached a while, as he had done in the country. Bethinking himself of Cuthbert Tonstall, then Bishop of London, and especially of the great commendation of Erasmus, who in his annotations so extolleth the said Tonstall for his learning, Tyndale thus cast with himself that if he might attain unto his service, he were a happy man. Coming to Sir Henry Guilford, the king's comptroller, and bringing with him an oration of Isocrates, which he had translated out of Greek into English, he desired him to speak to the said Bishop of London for him, which he also did, and willed him moreover to write an epistle to the bishop, and to go himself with him. This he did, 
and delivered his epistle to a servant of his named William Hebblethwaite, a man of his old acquaintance. But God, who secretly disposeth the course of things, saw that was not best for Tyndall's purpose, nor for the profit of his church, and therefore gave him to find little favor in the bishop's sight. The answer of whom was this. His house was full, he had more than he could well find, and he advised him to seek in London abroad, where he said he could lack no service. Being refused of the bishop, he came to Humphrey Mummoth, alderman of London, and besought him to help him, who the same time took him into his house, where the said Tyndall lived, as Mummoth said, like a good priest, studying both night and day. He would eat but sodden meat by his good will, nor drink but small single beer. He was never seen in the house to wear linen about him, all the space of his being there. And so remained Master Tyndale in London almost a year, marking with himself the courses of the world, and especially the demeanor of the preachers, how they boasted themselves and set up their authority, beholding also the pomp of the prelates, with other things more, which greatly misliked him, insomuch that he understood not only that there was no room in the bishop's house for him to translate the New Testament, but also that there was no place to do it in all England. Therefore, having by God's providence some aid ministered unto him by Humphrey Mummoth and certain other good men, he took his leave of the realm and departed into Germany, where the good man, being inflamed with the tender care and zeal of his country, refused no travail nor diligence, how, by all means possible, to reduce his brethren and countrymen of England to the same taste and understanding of God's holy word and verity, which the Lord had endued him withal. Whereupon, considering in his mind, and conferring also with John Frith, Tyndale thought with himself no way more to conduce thereunto than if the scripture were turned into the vulgar speech, that the poor people might read and see the simple plain word of God. He perceived that it was not possible to establish the lay people in any truth except the scriptures were so plainly laid before their eyes in their mother tongue that they might see the meaning of the text. For else whatsoever truth should be taught them, the enemies of the truth would quench it, either with reasons of sophistry and traditions of their own making, founded without all ground of scripture, or else juggling with the text, expounding it in such a sense as it were impossible to gather of the text, if the right meaning thereof were seen. Master Tyndale considered this only, or most chiefly, to be the cause of all mischief in the church, that the scriptures of God were hidden from the people's eyes. For so long the abominable doings and idolatries maintained by the pharisaical clergy could not be espied, and therefore all their labor was with might and main to keep it down, so that either it should not be read at all, or if it were they would darken the right sense with the mist of their sophistry, and so entangle those who rebuked or despised their abominations, wresting the scripture into their own purpose, contrary unto the meaning of the text, they would so delude the unlearned lay people, that though thou felt in thy heart and wert sure that all were false, that they said, yet couldst not solve their subtle riddles. For these and such other considerations, this good man was stirred up of God to translate the scripture into his mother tongue, for the profit of the simple people of his country. 
first setting in hand with the New Testament, which came forth in print about Anno Domini 1525. Cuthbert Tonstall, Bishop of London, with Sir Thomas More, being sore aggrieved, despised how to destroy that false erroneous translation, as they called it. It happened that one Augustine Packington, a mercer, was then at Antwerp, where the bishop was. This man favored Tyndall, but showed the contrary unto the bishop. The bishop, being desirous to bring his purpose to pass, communed how that he would gladly buy the New Testaments. Packington, hearing him say so, said, My lord, I can do more in this matter than most merchants that be here, if it be your pleasure. For I know the Dutchmen and the strangers that have bought them of Tyndall, and have them here to sell. Oh, so that, if it be your lordship's pleasure, I must disperse money to pay for them, or else I cannot have them. And so I will assure you to have every book of them that is printed and unsold. The bishop, thinking he had God by the toe, said, Do your diligence, gentle master Packington, get them for me, and I will pay whatsoever they cost, for I intend to burn and destroy them all at St. Paul's cross. This Augustine Packington went unto William Tyndall, and declared the whole matter, and so upon the compact made between them, the Bishop of London had the books, Packington had the thanks, and Tyndale had the money. End of chapter 12, part 1 Recording by Father Ziley, Detroit, Michigan.